Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Welcome. It's really good to be here. Uh, I love what Jen said at the start of announcement. She said, welcome home. And um, it's really nice. If this is home for you, it's really nice to have you home. Uh, if you're visiting with us tonight, please be welcome in our home. It's really great to have you. Um, you've already met Jen. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm the Jen's other half. Um, we pass the evening community here together, and we serve under the wonderful Rob and Bonnie. Rob let us in. Yeah, that's correct. Response. Very good. Yeah. Um, we are loving working with Rob and Bon as our senior pastors, just by way of update. These guys are awesome. So, um, And welcome to week two of our series, looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, now, I, I feel like before we get on with tonight's message, I just need to give a bit of credit where credit's due. Lucy spoke last week, cracking message, if you didn't catch it. Um, jump on YouTube, you can watch it uh, and catch up. She did a fantastic introduction. Um, Lucy actually also wrote this series for us. Yeah, so um, we kind of, we did a bit of brainstorming together, but she did all of the legwork to make this happen. Um, it's the talks that we have coming up are absolutely fantastic. Um, so thank you for that, Lucy. We really appreciate that. Um, why are we looking at the Gospel of Mark? Why are we doing this kind of character study of Jesus? Well, let me answer that question with another question. Do you ever feel like sometimes our faith is, or or the Christian faith is a little bit complicated? Yes, good, me too. Um, You know, you can do a theology course on Christianity. You can uh, do a PhD looking at a small part of our faith. Um, You know, maybe we do a a series in church on discipleship and we get out the end and we're like, we just got to, we just got to focus on making disciples and being disciples of Jesus, and then, then it's all good. Um, but then we do a series on justice, and we go, we've just got to look out for the poor and, and the oppressed and the marginalized, and, and then we'll be following Jesus. But then we, do, uh, we read the story of Mary and Martha, and we go, oh, well, maybe, uh, maybe it's just about, it's not about doing, it's about being with Jesus, and that's um, the heart of our faith. Or, uh, and then you, you keep reading, and you get to the book of Acts, and it's it's all about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, and seeing the gospel um, come to the nations. You know, it's really hard to sum up what um, this Christian faith thing is all about. And sometimes it can feel incredibly complex. But at exactly the same time, I want to suggest um, that it's also remarkably simple. Because while I think we might struggle to find a single concept or idea, or a thing that ties it all together. Um, I don't think there is a sing- that there's not a single concept or idea that ties it all together, but there is a person, um, and that's Jesus. You know, if you want to stay on the straight and narrow, if you want to um, do this Christian journey well um, to the end, there's no um, single concept or idea that's going to get you there, but there is a person. You, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We become obsessed with the person of Jesus. We, we uh, study him. We look at the things he said. We look at the things he did. We look at the way that he thought and acted in different situations. Um, and if you want to um, become a Christian, if you want to have a relationship with God, 
the one thing that I promise you will keep it very, very simple for you to, is to focus on Jesus. And so that's why we're doing this series looking at the Gospel of Mark. Um, that's why we're spending eight weeks uh, looking deeply at the person of Jesus and the different aspects um, of his character, of who he was. Um, and so each week we're looking at a, a different, um, I, I guess, a different aspect of who Jesus was. But tonight uh, the message is entitled Jesus the Mighty Messiah. So it's going to be really fun. Uh, so if you have a Bible handy, why don't you switch it on? Or um, That one still gets a laugh. So I know you're mocking me. Sorry, that's why you laughed. Um, open up to Mark chapter 4. And while you do that, I'm just going to catch us up on the story so far. So um, Lucy read to us from Mark 1, looking at Jesus' baptism, so we know about that. Uh, between uh, Mark 1 and Mark 4, where we are, uh, Jesus calls some, not all, but some of his disciples. Um, he does a whole lot of healing and uh, driving out demons. Uh, he does some incredible teaching. He tells a whole lot of parables that really make um, the religious elite of the day, the Pharisees, he gets them really up, uh, up in arms. And he draws a crowd. So we're, actually, we're still really early on in Jesus' ministry here. He's, he's pretty much just stayed around the one location to this point, that there's a whole crowd of people who are following Jesus. But what he hasn't done, which I think is really important to note for our purposes tonight, is that Jesus has not actually revealed that he is the chosen one, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, sent to save the world. In fact, quite the opposite, whenever someone has noticed, I'm just going to put that there so I don't talk for too long, um, whenever someone has noticed, like the demons, for example, see Jesus and say, that's Jesus, the Son of God, that's the guy, and he tells them to be quiet and not to tell anyone, which seems kind of counterintuitive if you're trying to change the world, doesn't it? Um, and every, when I've read through the gospel, uh, this gospel in the past, I've been kind of confused by why Jesus seems to want to keep his identity a secret. Um, but one of the things that I think Lucy really nailed last week is she um, talked about how the, the storyline of, of Mark's gospel is the gradual revelation of who Jesus is. And so what I think Jesus is doing in this gospel is he's not proclaiming himself as the Messiah. He's revealing himself as the Messiah. Do you see the difference? Like it's, it's quite subtle, but it's very important. Jesus isn't standing up and saying, everyone look at me, I'm the Messiah. He's showing people by loving them, by healing them, uh, by casting out demons, by loving the poor. He's revealing himself. He's doing the things um, that the Messiah does and ushering in a new kingdom where God is in charge. So... With that um, fairly drawn out catch up, let's jump into, uh, so John chapter 4, we're starting at verse 35, going through to uh, 41, and I am going to read from the NLT because it gives us just a tiny bit more context. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked 
the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's a pretty cool story, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the disciples, they get on the boat with Jesus. They go out, there's a big storm. Um, Jesus is asleep somehow. I don't know how that worked, but the, the scriptures tell us that he was asleep as this storm came up. The disciples actually had to wake him up. Um, I lo- isn't it interesting what the disciples say? They say, um, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You know, they're kind of having a go at him, weren't they? Um, and then Jesus, this is just remarkable. Jesus stands up and he speaks to the wind and the waves. What a weird thing to do. You know, can you imagine like going out driving and there's a huge storm and you're concerned uh, for your safety and the person in the passenger seat winds down the window and goes, stop that. And it all just dries up. Can you, can you just, like, it's a weird thing to do, but can you imagine experiencing that? And I just want to point out at the end that the disciples, it says the disciples were terrified. Now, they'd been following Jesus for some time, um, not a long time at this point, maybe uh, a few months. But the disciples were terrified and they said, who is this guy? Now, I want to I look at this story in two different ways, from kind of two different perspectives, if you will. So if you're a note taker, there's going to be kind of like two sections to this message. Um, the first section, we're going to kind of take the story on its own. Um, and we're going to talk about what I would consider to be probably the most, uh, or the, the simplest, or the most common interpretation of this story. And then we're going to do another, uh, we're going to take a look at another perspective uh, and look at it in terms of how it fits into the bro- broader story of Mark's gospel. So, um, first, let's talk about uh, this story on its own. And really, when, you re- when I read, read this story without giving you the context of the rest of uh, the gospel of of Mark, I think it's a story about faith versus fear. There's a few things I want to point out about this story that you might not have uh, picked up on first reading. The first one is that Jesus is the one who initiates this trip. So it's not the disciples going, well, let's, let's take a trip over there. Jesus says, we're going to go over to the other side of the lake. The second thing I want to point out is that they're traveling the lake at night. Now, that's a bit of an unusual thing to do. If you are a uh, first-century Jewish fisherman, the nighttime is not generally when you go out fishing. It's a lot harder to navigate, isn't it? And yet they decide to go at night. Um, and then the third thing is that the lake that they're on, if you look, if you look at the actual like, geography of the area, it's quite a large, but it's a fairly shallow lake. And if up to the northwest, there is a, like a mountain pass um, and so what would happen is it was quite common for winds to come through at nighttime and stir up a, a kind of sudden violent storm on the lake. So Jesus initiates uh, this potentially quite dangerous trip uh, over the lake. I think Jesus probably had some idea of what was coming. I can't say that for sure, but I wonder if, I wonder if Jesus was aware of the risks. I suppose he probably was. 
You know, sometimes I think as we go through life, as we, if, if you are living a life following after Jesus, I think we assume for some reason that if we are doing what Jesus tells us, then things are going to go well for us. You know, if, you, if Jesus says, go and you go, you kind of assume that he's going to sort out the details along the way, don't you? And this story kind of, um, this story speaks to the opposite a little bit, doesn't it? You know, I don't, I don't think we should get, uh, be surprised when things get tough, when we're following Jesus. And you know, the disciples, it's not like, you know, it's not like we have the benefit of hindsight, don't we? We kind of know that Jesus is the Son of God, the mighty Messiah, and that he's going to sort everything out. It's going to be fine. Like, we know that the disciples survived the story. But judging by the way that they respond to Jesus, I don't think they thought they were going to make it out alive. But there are two things I think we can learn from this interaction. And the first um, is to bring your fear to Jesus. I, I kind of wonder whether, and again, this is just me wondering, I kind of wonder whether Jesus was asleep just waiting for the disciples to interact with him. You know, I wonder how long it was between when the storm started and the disciples said, uh-oh, we've got a, we've got a, we've got a problem here. I wonder how long it was between that moment and when they went to wake up Jesus. You know, a bunch of the disciples were fishermen, so I'd wager they probably tried to navigate the storm for a while on their own. So if you find yourself following, uh, following Jesus through the night over the lake and the storms start to come up, can I just encourage you, go to Jesus straight away. Don't wait. Just go straight to him. The other thing I want to draw out um, is that there's, there's sort of an exchange of fears that goes on in this passage. Uh, let me explain what I mean. When the storm comes up, it's pretty clear that the disciples are on panic stations. They're pretty concerned for their welfare, um, as you would be. The disciples are fearing, and you know, quite rightly, the disciples are fearing the wind and the waves. But then do you notice how by the end of the story, and I already pointed this out when I told it, um, that the disciples at the end of the story, they're not afraid of the wind and the waves. They're now afraid of Jesus. You know, I think fear often gets a really bad rap in Christianity. Um, I think in most cases, uh, as a Christian, um, you know, there's some times where fear is sensible. Jen and I were at the zoo yesterday. If uh, I was in one of those lion's uh, places, I'd be pretty afraid, and I think that would be justified. But So there are some times where fear is justified, but in general, I think we tend to say that fear is not a great thing to have, and it's kind of the enemy of faith. I want to update that slightly, and I want to suggest that misplaced fear is, is what gets us into trouble when we're following after Jesus. You see, what happens in this story is... Uh, the disciples go from fearing the wind and the waves to fearing Jesus. It's a, play, it's a situation of, uh, faith that is, of, of fear that is misplaced, uh, going to fear that is well-placed because they recognize who it is that's with them. 
that the man on the boat is uh, not just any ordinary guy, but uh, someone that can speak to the wind and the waves. And they stop fearing uh, their circumstances and they start to fear Jesus instead. So when you find yourselves in one of those situations where you're terrified of your circumstances, remember who it is that's in the boat with you. So that's, that's kind of our first take on this story. And I've, I've, pre- I've actually preached on this story before, and that's kind of the line that I went down. And I think there are some of us uh, here tonight that need to know that Jesus is bigger than your fear. Jesus is bigger than your storms. Uh, and if that's you tonight, then be encouraged. But the second take that I want to do on this story um, takes it as part of the, the whole story of Mark's gospel. Now, as I said earlier, the narrative that we see from uh, the beginning to the end uh, of the Gospel of Mark is this gradual revelation of who Jesus is. Uh, And it's particularly the disciples recognizing uh, more and more. It's kind of like Jesus, the Jesus who we know uh, and and we read about and we preach about, he comes more and more into focus as as the Gospel goes along. And so from that perspective, this story is not just about faith versus fear. This story is an example of Jesus revealing himself to his disciples. Now, as, we, as I read through this this week, and as I was, as I was examining this story and, um, and praying about it, the, the, passage, the other passage in Scripture that came to mind for me was actually the creation story that we get in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read just like the first verse and a half. Um, from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And then God said, and he goes on to create everything that you and I have ever seen or experienced. I think, I wonder if it's intentional that here we have God hovering over the waters, speaking to the chaos and bringing order. I wonder whether as, um, Jesus, uh, as Jesus did this, or maybe even in hindsight, whether the disciples put two and two together and thought, this isn't just any ordinary guy I think this is a moment where we realize that this Jesus is the God of creation, the God who spoke all things into being, using his voice and commanding creation, commanding chaos to come into order. It's this incredible, incredible moment of revelation of who Jesus is. Now, what do we do with that? How does that actually change the way that you and I live? What what does this realization teach us? It certainly taught the disciples a lot, um, but what are we supposed to take away from this? One of the things that strikes me in this passage is the contrast between who the disciples thought Jesus was and who Jesus revealed himself to be. Now, we can't claim to know exactly what the disciples were thinking at this moment. You know, maybe they were a little bit more clued in than we will give them credit for. But if we read uh, again, when when the disciples address Jesus to wake him up, they say, um, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? They address him as 
a teacher, as a rabbi. Now, uh, a rabbi wasn't a teacher in the way that we would, we would think of a teacher today. A rabbi was an expert in the Jewish law who would collect a group of disciples around himself and they would follow him everywhere and they would imitate what he said and what he did uh, and, and he would teach them and pass on his knowledge and experience so that they could become teachers themselves. And so I suspect that um, you know, a few weeks or months into their journey of following Jesus that the disciples pretty much had him squarely in the rabbi box. Now, he'd done a whole lot of miracles. His teaching was really controversial and impressive. Uh, It had a lot of authority. So presumably, he was a pretty good rabbi. Um, But the disciples think that Jesus is a rabbi, and here he reveals himself to be not any ordinary teacher, although he was a teacher, but he reveals himself as the mighty Messiah, the Son of God. And I think that sometimes we in the church, um, those of us who follow Jesus, can make the same mistake. I think that one of the most successful lies that the enemy, that the devil has ever um, gotten into the Western church um, is that Jesus is just a really good teacher. You know, that, um, we, that we can study the scriptures, we can learn from the things that Jesus uh, taught us, we can imitate his way of life, we can imitate his uh, love of the poor, um, his, his, his heart's cry for mercy and justice. Uh, we, can, we can take his moral teachings and apply them into our lives and then stop there. Now, it is, we definitely want to do all of those things. We want to study God's word. We want to um, imitate Christ's heart for the poor. We want to learn the things that he had to say, exactly like I said at the beginning of this message. We want to go after the teaching um, of Jesus with everything we have. And, and we're talking about that, I think, next week. Um, we're looking at Jesus as teacher. So I'm not saying that Jesus is not the most incredible teacher that we could ever have. But what I am trying to say to us is that if that's our whole picture of Jesus, if we're just trying to imitate him, you know, we can even build a whole um, religion around Jesus as teacher. But if that's our picture of Jesus, then we're worshiping an idol. Because that's not all that Jesus was. Jesus was not just a great teacher. He wasn't just even the best teacher. He was the son of God himself. God in flesh Mighty and powerful. There's this lie that I think has crept into um, some pockets of the church, and there's a lie that I think we come against um, all the time as a vineyard church, that um, Jesus was a wonderful teacher. He died and rose again for our sins, and he's not actively involved in our lives. He doesn't have power to change our circumstances. And I think we need to call that lie out for what it is. We, whether you realize this or not, you have found yourselves, uh, you have found yourself in a vineyard church, and we are a church that absolutely loves to go after the work uh, of the Holy Spirit, to go out after the work that Jesus is still doing in our lives today. We believe that God uh, is not just interested in our lives, but He has the power to change our circumstances. Now we. 
Um, whole, we, believe, we believe that that's held in tension. We um, believe that God uh, can and does break through in our lives in power. And we see that powerfully sometimes, and other times we don't. We hold this tension between the now and the not yet. But sometimes I think we get so good at holding the tension on the not yet side um, that we stop holding the tension altogether and we forget that God wants to break in here and now. Now, if you want to starve out the supernatural work of God uh, in a church, I think there's two ways that you can do that. And the first one is to make it into a memory. There are some of us who are here today who have experienced God breaking through in remarkable ways. Maybe you have been healed significantly, or maybe you, someone you love or care for has had, experienced significant healing. And I, I know some of your stories of that, and there are many that I'm sure I don't know. But that happened a long time ago. And maybe you, you started to think, well, that was then, but God doesn't work like that anymore. He did that so that I, I could believe, but now I'm just going to go on um, learning about Jesus as the teacher. And after a while, disappointment creeps in, and you say, oh, you know, I kind of wish that God would, would do that again, but every time I pray, nothing happens. And uh, I've got this other issue here, and God hasn't done anything about that. You know, the, 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 the tragic irony of this is that, you know, it should be that the less we see, the more we hunger. But I feel like sometimes the less we see, the less we hunger. And we kind of let go of this desire to push into the things that God has for us now. And so we turn, uh, we turn the work of God in the here and now, the work of Jesus, the mighty Messiah, into a memory. The other thing is, uh, I think we can turn uh, the supernatural into a theology. Now work with me on this one. I think that it's possible to hold a very thorough, nuanced, and well-balanced theology of the supernatural without ever doing it. Um, I think that we can get so good at talking about the supernatural, studying in the scriptures, um, that when we, you know, we might have a go at it, but when we do, we're just giving it lip service, because that's what we see it says in the book. The work and the power of Jesus is not just a theology. There certainly is a theology behind it, but it's not just a theology. It has to be something that we, we live out, that we go after with everything we have. Do you want to know where the river is on a map? Do you want to know its lines, its curves, where it starts and where it goes? Or do you want to jump in? Do you want to jump in the river? I want to finish tonight by um, sharing a little story. I was watching a talk that John Wimber, who um, is the father of the Vineyard Movement, I was watching a talk of his from probably 25 years ago uh, this morning on YouTube. It's really fantastic. Uh, if you like this story, then just um, it's on YouTube. Uh, John Wimber's first encounter with healing. Uh, so at this point in, in Wimber's ministry, he was pastoring a church, and they were doing a series on the Gospel of Luke. And they kind of had the whole series mapped out. And he, he was teaching one day, and he kind of realized that he, would, had skipped, he was on Luke 4, and he'd skipped out a few key verses. And that uh, Jesus was healing people left, right, and center in the Gospels. Uh, and having read from, from there until the end of the New Testament, I don't see any instruction uh, that we should do anything otherwise. 
So he decides to give it a go. So he says, you know what? It says in the book that Jesus healed people, so we're going to give it a go. So after the service, they did an altar call, uh, came up, and no one got healed. And the way he tells the story, it's very funny. I won't do it justice. But the way he tells the story, he said people actually got sicker. You know, people had, had a cold and someone else caught the cold while they were praying for the cold to go away. <laughs> and so it didn't go very well. And so he thought, well, we're never going to do that again. Anyway, the next week, uh, they teach another passage on Luke. And Jesus is healing people and he feels God just kind of nudge him and say, give it another go. He's like, all right, God, we're being faithful here. And so they prayed again and nothing happened. <laughs> I, I bet you that John Wimmer felt a lot more strongly than that. Anyway, I'm going to cut a long story short. They prayed for people every single week for a year and didn't see a single person get healed. And people left the church. People wrote angry letters. People said, this isn't what God does anymore. This isn't how God works. Um, and you know what Wimber got really, really good at doing was explaining why people didn't get healed. Like he had that theology nailed. He could, he could tell people really well. He had made, uh, he, had, he had turned it into a theology. Anyway, and he goes on and he says that after about 12 months, they had this new couple join the church. And uh, one morning, Monday morning, uh, the husband calls up and says, you know, John, I really need you to come and pray for my wife. She's really sick. I'm starting a new job today. And, um, you know, if she, if she can't look after the kids, I'm going to have to stay home. I'm going to lose my job. It's going to be awful. I, I need you to come and pray so that she gets better. And he's thinking, this guy, he doesn't know. <laughs> He actually believes this stuff. <laughs> and anyway, but being a, uh, being a good uh, disciple of Jesus, he says, you know what, we're just going to do it. And, you know, he, so he, he rolls in, um, goes, gets taken straight to the bedroom, and this, um, this poor lady is just, like, on the brink. She's so unwell. There's no way that she's getting out of bed to look after the kids. And um, so... John, he, he does this quick prayer. He says, you know, in the name of Jesus, be healed, whatever. Turns around to the husband and starts giving, you know, his well-packaged explanation of why people don't always get healed. And the husband's smiling and not really paying attention. And so uh, he turns around and there she is. She's up. She's got her dressing gown on and she's making the bed. She's completely healed. And he's like, what? <laughs> what? Anyway, so he sort of really politely, you know, they say, oh, do you want to stay for a cup of coffee? Oh, no, 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 that's all right. He, uh, he walks outside, closes the door and goes, yes, we got one. <laughs> anyway, so I highly recommend you, tell, you watch um, Wimbers telling the story. It's, it, he's a very funny man. Um, but I just, and you know what happened after that, um, if you, if you, I encourage you to read it for yourself, but I, I wonder whether that was the moment that God was like, I can use this guy. And he started a movement that changed the world, that brought the ministry of the Holy Spirit um, to the wider church. Um, if he hadn't have pushed through on that, I wonder whether our church would exist today. You know, it's so tempting to give in to disappointment, to give in to unbelief and say that Jesus was just a great teacher, maybe even the best. But we can't read this passage 
uh, and keep, keep believing that. This blows that out of the water. We have to realize that when we pray to Jesus, we are praying to the mighty Messiah, to the Son of God, to the God of creation himself, who spoke to the wind of the way and the waves and they went quiet. That is the God that we sang about tonight. That's who we worship. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I kind of, I feel a little bit like, please correct me if I'm wrong. Please tell me if you've recently experienced significant healing or breakthrough uh, as a result of prayer ministry. I personally feel like I'm in a bit of a dry spell when it comes to pushing into the supernatural. I feel like um, I'd be the first to put up my hand and say that I'm starting to believe that it's just a memory or it's just a theology. But I just, I think that given who we are uh, as the venue, given who we are as Northridge, we can't ever stop going after this stuff. When we come up against the not yet again and again and again, we shouldn't hunger less, we should hunger more. And so that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to absolutely go after, uh, go after the, 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 the power of Jesus, uh, like our lives depend on it. So can we all stand? We're going to do it. Yeah. No idea what we, this is going to look like, but... <laughs> But if God moves in power, you're going to notice it, right? Um, I actually, just while we're standing uh, and, you know, the kind of blood's going back to your legs and you're just waking up again, uh, I just want to, Wimbush, at the end of the talk, Wimbush shared this prophetic word and I want to share that with us again now because um, I, I believe it was a word over our whole movement and not just the people who were there in that, that moment. He was driving back from a conference at some point um, and as he was sort of in the desert and there's just this big vista out in front of him, he had a vision and he saw it was like honeycomb, um, this honeycomb that was dripping. And there was all these people out in the desert and, and the honey from, the, um, from the, this honeycomb was dripping out and it was touching different people. And um, the, the Lord said, this honey is my mercy. And there were some people who were just drinking it up, who were just like, come on, Lord, give me more. And there were some people who were like, get this stuff off me. It's really sticky and gross. I believe that the decision point we have tonight is, which one of those people are we going to be? Are we going to be the people who go after this stuff, who just drink it in? Um, or are we going to kind of push it aside and just go, no, that's just for the hippie Christians? So let's, um, let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and let's see what he wants to do, shall we? Um, if you want, you can put out your hands just like this. Just, uh, just grab that honey as it comes down from heaven. So, yeah. All right. Come, Lord Jesus. Mighty Messiah. Holy Spirit, come. 